right, so happy Valentine's Day, huh? What a weird text, okay? It is okay to open up your Bible and walk away going, what was that? And you're probably wondering, okay, did all these women speak because we're about to talk about women in church? Yes, they did. Because women should be in positions of authority, speaking and leading in the appropriate context. And so that, what Maria just did so wonderfully, is something that we want to continue to do. She was put in front of you and did exactly what this text talked about. She prophesied. The greatest form of prophecy you will find is God's revealed word to us, right? So you will see us continuing to elevate his word and putting it before you. But what Maria did, what Laura did, uh, what all of these women did by leading up here was take us into the presence of God and help us to worship. I'm going to tell you right now, this passage is confusing. It's actually considered the most confusing passage in the New Testament. So if you think I'm going to give you all of the answers, please find some other church to go to or give me grace, right? Um, But we're going to unpack it because you can't ignore your Bible. There are parts of your Bible that you can't just ignore, right? Like this is a good reason and an argument for why exegetical teaching is a good thing because it causes us to confront things maybe we don't understand. And God is faithful to reveal himself in it right? God did not put things in the Bible to just absolutely confuse us. Some things he doesn't fully reveal to us, but he doesn't just leave us hanging. And so he does reveal things to us. And, and I hope that he does that tonight. There will be things I say that you probably should forget, and I'm praying you do if they're not from God, but the things that are from God, I hope he sticks in your mind. Um, and I want to pray to that end quickly because without his help, I'm going to be no good. So let's do that. Father, I confess my lack of desire to initially teach this text, but only because of my arrogance and desire to have everything figured out. And so I want to come before you and ask your spirit to move. God, we did not come so that we could feel morally better about ourselves because we went to church. We came because we wanted to meet with a family of God, with the Father that made us family. So as we look into your word and recognize who you are in it, would you get the glory And would your role for men and women in your kingdom be revealed in a new and a fresh way? Would you heal wounds that are open and hurting? Would you uh, cut off baggage that people have been carrying? And would you write new narratives that make this place one where men and women flourish because they're a part of this church? In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul has finally left behind the topic of food sacrifice to idols. If you've been coming, you've realized he had a lot to say about food sacrifice to idols, and he's done. And now what he's transitioned to is now the issue of the gathering. So think like if he was writing to us, telling us what Thursday nights and Sunday mornings should look like. That's what Paul is now going to start to talk to the Corinthian church about. What should it look like when you gather as God's corporate people? And he uses these opening verses to describe the appropriate dress code for male and female members of his church and the gathering. So ladies, I hope you brought your head coverings, right? Actually, if you notice, Maria didn't have one, Laura didn't have one, so it's okay, right? So I want to get a few things out of the way. The first thing is we are reading somebody else's mail out of context with a little bit of history that we know, but then a lot of confusion, right? So this is a weird passage. It's somebody else's mail that we're trying to read and understand with the help of God. There is so much cultural background that we don't have time to or cannot fully understand when it comes to this passage based on just like lack of knowledge and then time together, especially with like 30 to 40 minutes. But we can get a few obvious things out of the way, okay? Number one, I've already said it. You don't need a head covering, okay? 
You do not need a bonnet. If you'd like to wear one, we will not judge you, um, especially if it had like a Carhartt symbol. You could start something, right? Because that's already really in. Carhartt bonnet, just saying. Head coverings of the future. Hipsters everywhere. Uh, yes, you can wear hats in church, okay? I don't think God's mad at you. So you're cool. We're cool. It's cool. Uh, if you're a woman, you can have short hair, okay? It's okay to have a shorter haircut. And then if you're a dude, you can have long hair. It's going to be just fine, right? Jesus always had long hair in all of those white guy pictures of him, which he wasn't white, but anyways. <laughs> but I also want to let you know one thing up front, right? This is actually not going to be a sermon about what a woman can or cannot do in church leadership. If you want to know where, where Candeo's elders have landed, you can go to the website. They have a position paper there. We're complementarian. And here's what I want you to understand is if you go and, and read that and have problems with it, please do not immediately start to point the finger at the elders or at our church. You have to understand, I know each of these men, and they did not just flippantly come to that decision. They fought with one another, they wrestled through the scriptures, and they came to that conclusion. And so my, my hope is if you begin to disagree with it, you would fight for honor and to be a humble listener before you would begin to argue and push back, okay? So if you have issue with that, please start from a place of honor. It's so easy in our culture to throw stones at things we don't like or don't understand, but if we would come with a listening ear, I think we would actually begin to demonstrate kingdom life. So I just wanna say that. But why am I not uh, going to talk about that? Because I think there is something deeper Paul was trying to address and I think our cultural moment is asking us to address the kind of the other deeper issues in this. I mean, think about it. Right now in our culture, gender is becoming more and more fluid. The idea of male and female is so ambiguous at times and confusing, but then it's also really, really competitive, right? Men, because of things that they have done and should rightly be accused of, are being stripped of their masculinity. And it seems like every day, another woman has a story where she was objectified and abused. And so we have this competitive, hostile, and bitter culture where men and women seem to grow farther and farther and farther apart, where in the kingdom, they should demonstrate what life close together really looks like. And that's what I think Paul is going after. See, the church is meant to be a place that displays human flourishing, not just Christian flourishing, but human flourishing. A beautiful picture of what it looks like for male and females to be in community and in relationships of all kinds under and in the kingdom of God, which is what I think this passage is really pressing us into. The primary issue of this text, if you really want to like cut and dry it, it's how the worship service should go. So if anyone asks like, what's that confusing text about? Just tell them it's the worship service and we don't have time to talk and you can keep moving, right? But it's because the worship service was supposed to be a symbol a symbol to the outside world and anyone who came to, to display God's glory and his kingdom. So the way people were gathering and how it went mattered. And so we have to at least take the time to look at it. But when you really begin to pull back and look at what's happening, not just in this text, but in our, our culture. Also, this is not a text about restriction. I think that's another thing we jump to. Like, Look at how much the Bible is restrictive. Like Paul literally just said, when a woman prays and prophesies, like he's assuming she's going to be a contributing member of the church service, not trying to take her away from anything. So, so keep that in mind. Recognize that's there. But I also just want to slow down long enough to, to ask the question, can we all agree that something's broken in our world between men and women, right? 
it doesn't take long for you and I to look out into our world, the news stories, and even some of our own relationships and recognize men and women are not flourishing. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And I think that actually happened a long time ago. It happened in the garden when a page that you read in the first chapter, it has Adam singing a song, a love song, a poem to Eve. And if you just flip one page, he's suddenly blaming her for everything and then actually God. So he went from singing bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh to the woman that you gave me is the reason I ate the fruit. And ever since then, it seems like something has been between us, men and women fighting, competing, something has been broken. And so I know that in a room this size, there's a lot of baggage, there's been a lot of abuse, and there's a lot of confusion. And so I'm, I want you to know I'm going to try to be sensitive, that we can have as many uh, discussions as we need to have after this. This is not just the conversation, hopefully it's just the start of a conversation for all of us, right? Some of you are walking in here and you've been physically, emotionally, and sexually abused by the opposite sex. Some of you have been uh, biblically manipulated and had texts like these used out of context to oppress you or push you aside. And so before we sit in this passage, I actually hopefully want to recapture God's heart specifically for women. I want to show you how God actually looks at females, at women, and he's actually the best when it comes to valuing and loving females, right? And, and I have a vested interest in this, not only is most of this ministry female, and I recognize that, but I have two little girls at home who I want to grow up flourishing and kicking some biblical butt, right? Like I want that for them. And so I want all of you to grow up in a context where men, you honor and respect the distinct beauty of what it means to be female. And ladies, you grow up knowing there is a beautiful, flourishing way that has order and purpose in the kingdom of God for me. And so I want you actually to find that not in, in my compelling desire for you to be a role model to my daughters, but in the scriptures. I want God now to talk to you and I want him to show you what he really thinks about women. So we're gonna go back to the beginning and start kind of flying through the Bible. So if you think about it, you don't have to flip there because I'm gonna go through a lot of stuff. We start in Genesis one and two, right? God made both man and woman in his image, okay? They both display the image of God. And he doesn't make any mention that one of them displays it more or better than the other. He actually seems to allude to the fact that they display the image of God together, right? So the, like God designed females, right? So he probably cares the most about them. Can we start there? Like he thought being a female was a good and valuable thing, a good and valuable thing. And Eve did not get the shaft when it came to her job being an image bearer, right? Okay, so it says it's not good for man to be alone. That's literally what God, he saw Adam, saw the animals. A fox wasn't gonna cut it for his wife. So he thought, I need to make a woman. Yeah, that was a joke. I'm gonna try to make a couple of them. If they don't land, don't worry. So he puts Adam to sleep and he takes a rib and he makes a woman. Adam does sing this beautiful love song. And what he says is, is Adam needs a helper, a helper. And when you, you think that, I think a lot of us bring baggage and think that's just someone to make sure he pays the bills, someone to clean his laundry and do his dishes. No, did you know helper actually in the Hebrew text all throughout the Old Testament is actually the word help? Yeah. Like, it's a military term, actually then mostly used for God when the Israelites were in battle and needed help, right? So God saw that Adam needed help, 
I'm yelling on purpose. I want you to understand this. It's a powerful, strong word. It's the idea of coming to aid and help someone win a fight, right? So I want you to understand that already God has given women right away in the creation story, not some like, oh, I'm going to do his dishes and cook for him. No, I'm going to be his help, right? Like, Lissa is my help. I don't even know how much money we have in our bank account without that woman, much less, do you know how many stupid decisions I would make without her? Like on a real note, the amount of times that woman has helped me spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, all these different ways where she has been a help to me. That's a strong, powerful term that's also used to describe God, okay? So it's not bad if you want to cook and clean and do all those things, but you also need to be a help in times of trouble, a help, protection and defense. Like literally in a Hebrew marriage ceremony, this is, I think, really cool. Uh, the, the groom will sit there and the wife will walk circles around him in this ceremony, this idea that she is to guard and protect him, to guard and protect him. I think that's an incredible symbol. And I don't want to do a marriage over again or a wedding over again, but if I could, I would do that. And people would be like, that's weird. And I'd say, that's fine. She's my help. Um, <laughs> I love her. Um, men and women are meant to reflect God in unique ways, okay? Men and women are different, and they will and should have different functions in the kingdom of God. And that is not to say that one of them has more value than the other, but there are distinctions, right? There are distinctions that we need to recognize. Two distinct genders, we clearly see God create that. They are equal in worth and ability to image God. But all throughout scripture, you see them being given different ways to contribute, and, and especially as the church gathers. But, but I also don't think this means that like all women need to be stay-at-home moms. I don't think that this means that the man has to make the most money. I don't even think that means that men will always be stronger. There are probably women in here, if you punched me in the chest, I'd weep like a baby, okay? Because you're stronger than me. I think you can be CEOs. If you want to be the president someday, do that. I don't think this is trying to somehow restrict, and I don't think the Bible does that. And you might hear me say those things and be like, no, duh, okay? Like, I think we get that in our culture. But you have to understand, the scriptures were crazy progressive. Like, some people might have said the Bible was really liberal, right? A word that you usually don't use when you talk about the Bible. Because back when this whole thing was written, and especially 1 Corinthians, and even in the days of Jesus and before that, especially in the Old Testament, a woman was a second-class citizen. She literally did not matter. She was treated as property. She couldn't vote. She couldn't speak. She couldn't make a living for herself. She could not own property. If she watched a crime, she was not a valid witness. Her testimony did not matter, right? You have to understand then when you begin to look at who was following Jesus and the way he talked to those women, it's incredibly progressive. Like, so Jesus had female disciples, right? He had lots of disciples. We know the 12 apostles, but he had all kinds of disciples. Mary and Martha, two very close friends of Jesus, served in his ministry, did that stuff all the time for him. Jesus and the woman at the well is maybe my favorite example of how I want all of you to hear how Jesus treats a woman, okay? So it's a famous story in John 4. Jesus stops by himself at this well, and the Samaritan woman comes out. And first off, if you're a rabbi, much less a man, you would literally just ignore women, especially in public. So what does Jesus do? He acknowledges her. Look at him immediately, show her value and worth. He acknowledges her. He talks to her. That's different. 
He's not just less valuable, which the culture would have said so. She's not just there as a utility, a thing to be used and then abused. Oh, and then another thing, she's a Samaritan. To a Jew, you don't talk to Samaritans because they're like mutt Jews. They thought really poorly of them, and yet Jesus speaks directly to her. Another interesting thing, he asks for a drink, doesn't demand it. You didn't do that to a woman. It was an incredibly uh, humble thing to lower yourself enough to ask for something to another person. Look at the value he shows her. He recognizes you're not just there to give me something. I can ask it to you. He's restoring her dignity as he speaks that to her. Look at him value her. And then he reveals that he would not give in to the culture's dehumanizing view of women. And and you'll go back and he says, uh, woman. He says that phrase. He also says that to his mom. And you're like, that sounds bad. Like, hey, woman. Like, it sounds really offensive. Back then, it was actually a term of endearment and value. It would be maybe sound more like daughter or dear. No one would have talked to her that way. But Jesus says, woman. It's It's a term of value. He's drawing her out. It's just one of my favorite stories. Wanted to pause, let you know that's how Jesus sees them. Mary Magdalene, a lady who had seven demons Jesus delivered her from. Guess who was the first witness to the resurrected Jesus? Mary Magdalene. If you wanted to make sure something was true, you wouldn't use a woman to testify to it. But look what Jesus does. He uses a woman to validate his resurrection, the first person to see him. Then you work, you work your way into the New Testament and you realize women are allowed to learn in church. That was insane, you guys, unfortunately. That was crazy. The fact that a woman could learn was almost unheard of. And yet they were sitting in the church services. That would have been brand new. Then you see that women were a huge part of the early church. A few names, Lydia, Priscilla, and Junia. Go look them up. It's worth your time. They were incredibly crucial to the life of the early church. They were in the midst of the church, active and vibrant, speaking publicly, serving powerfully. And this is where we begin to realize this is really notable because even in a Jewish synagogue, men and women wouldn't even worship together, right? They they would have separate places to worship, go do their own separate gender church services, and then go home. Like that's how not inclusive, not equal and excluded women were. And that's where the Corinthians are coming from, at least if you're Jewish. Okay, so now we're, we're starting to zoom into our text. So the Jewish audience would have been like, whoa, women used to not be allowed to speak, and now you're letting them pray. That's kind of odd. Our, se- our segregated temple complex has been totally flattened by Jesus, and now we all meet together. That's pretty interesting. And then if you were a Gentile, so a non-Jew, you would have been used to women, but they would have been like priestesses and weird cult rituals that had no order, and they would be dancing around saying crazy things to you and doing stuff that I'm not even going to read to you. You can find a study Bible. It was bizarre, right? So what you have to understand is the idea of men and women in church together was new. It was beautifully new and really messy because they had never really done it before. And so they were learning what it looked like together. And the reason they were together, because God wanted them to be. Once again, showing value. Not, not making them all male, female, everything they do is the same. Still leaving their distinctions, but bringing them together because that's how he wanted them to, to show his kingdom. And so in verse 3, Paul begins his discussion. So knowing all that we know, we can zoom in and look at verse 3. And he, um, I had it written down and I don't. You guys have it in front of you. Sorry. He roots this idea. He says, like, Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. But then he talks about the father and the son's relationship. Because it's kind of this submissive relationship. And so what you have to understand is when he thinks about how male and female interact, he wants them to first think of the Trinity. 
He wants them to first think about how the Father and the Son interacted. And if you were to open Philippians chapter 2, you would see that Jesus said he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but willingly subjected himself to the Father's will. You would find that Jesus willingly and gladly submitted himself to what his Father wanted him to do, and their relationship was not competitive. It was interdependent. They weren't trying to be independent from one another. They were trying to always work together. They were always trying to work together. What you need to know is there is no competition in the Trinity. There is no competition in the Trinity. There's only mutual love, delight, and and work together for God's people. They wanted to display the beauty of their unity and love and their relationship. So what does that mean for us? That men and women in this context should seek to honor and serve one another in a countercultural way that is not competitive, okay? That when you think about the men and women in this church, you don't just think, how can I date them? But you first think, how can I honor them? How can we work together to glorify God and his kingdom? Not in a competitive way or an objective way where they become a thing to be used, but in a servant-hearted way where how can I help them flourish? And when you, can he- when you hear the idea that the man is the head of the woman, you can easily start to think of like oppression and man being better than, and then things start to feel abusive and confusing, which was actually never God's design. That was man's failure. But it's also marriage language, okay? So headship is mostly used in marriage language. So it's not just like, ladies, you don't just have to do whatever some guy in here tells you to do, okay? So if he tells you to sing louder on who you say I am, you can say, no, thanks, man. I need a cough drop. It's really cold outside. So you you need to understand that, like, Paul's addressing men and women who would have been married, not just men and women in general. And actually, instead of flinching at the idea of headship, you should lean in and desire it, because Ephesians 5 tells husbands to love your wives as Christ loves the church. And you know how Jesus loved the church? By self-sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life so that the bride, his church, could flourish. And so you should hear that and recognize that the marriage you want is one where your husband selflessly sacrifices himself so that you can grow and flourish and come alive. And come alive. So in the context of marriage, this all kind of follows a progression, you begin to find a reason for head coverings, okay? So why the Carhartt bonnets in the Corinthian church? Okay, so head coverings were basically like wedding rings or signs of modesty in the ancient world, okay? So it was like a wedding ring or a sign of modesty in the ancient world. So knowing that, let's look at verses 4 through 6. And then I'm going to attach verse 15 for the ladies, but I'll explain why. So starting with verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that, that, that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. And then verse 15, kind of attaching to lady argument, if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. So like this idea of hair, like that was just a really beautiful thing. See, it says, for her hair is given to her as a covering. It's really confusing, guys. Um, but long hair, it was like, dang, girl, look at that hair. That's beautiful. And sometimes a guy would be like, I really like her because I like her hair. And sometimes that's still true. So you should use shampoo. That's all I'm saying. 
Verse four, okay? So let's talk about dudes. So he says, every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. What is he talking about? If a man were to walk into God's gathered church and put something on his head, it would be like a symbolic rejection of God's design for him as a husband or for him as a man, okay? So it was like he would be symbolically rejecting God's design for human flourishing, so to speak. He would be saying no to the way God wanted things, both in how a male carries his authority in his marriage, but then in also how he displays God's glory as his creation. Okay, so like the most obvious, ridiculous thing is if I came into church wearing a pair of my wife's leggings, Ugg boots, and a tube top, right? You would be like, that doesn't help me listen to you or worship Jesus. It's actually really confusing. And that's the other like interesting thing is the gathered church was not about drawing attention to self. It was about glorifying Jesus. So that's another part of this is like knowing how things should go, a man doing that, everyone would have gone like, what is going on? Like if I came in with a tube top on, you'd be like, that's really weird. What's going on, right? And that's like a ridiculous example. The way it gets more sinister is how we think about who does that, what does that person think about me? And that's the reason I'm going to Salt Company, but we'll get to that, right? So it's, it's more insidious when it starts to go after your heart. So then you get to this, this idea of, of women. So their head coverings, things like that. I have three quick observations. First, uncovering her head would be like a rejection of her marriage vows, right? It'd be like, I'm free in Christ. So when I'm in the church, I'm not married. That's not helpful to anyone, right? You should delight in God's design for marriage and keep your wedding ring on is basically what he's saying here. Another one, like I said before with men, uncovering her head would draw attention away from God and towards her, okay? So that would be like, Someone walking into church tonight wearing a bikini, okay? What are you doing? Because we know it's not hot enough and you're insane. It's clearly like an attention thing. It would just be drawing attention, and that's another extreme example. It would be drawing attention away from God and towards the self. And in their context, shaving your head would also be the same thing. It would be like saying, I reject the fact that I was made as a woman. That's what shaving your head would be. I think you could probably shave your head now and be fine but that's just me. I don't know. Um, how do we apply this though? Like how do you take head coverings and shaving your head, all that stuff? Like where does it really hit home for us? Um, I think it's you asking the question, why do you go to church? Okay. Why do you go to church? And when you're there, whose attention are you seeking? And then whose attention are you desiring? Or that's the same thing. So whose attention, like do, you, like, do you want attention or do you want to give God attention or glory or worship? Are you submissive and humble or are you glory seeking and looking for people to notice you? And like at like the surface level, it's how you dress, right? And I'm not going to go into like what you should and shouldn't wear. But like if you dress a certain way going, I can't wait for everyone to see me at Salt Company and tell me how good I look, male or female, that's probably not a healthy place to be right? But it's more like, are you coming here to worship God or are you coming here to chase a girl or chase a guy, right? Like it's at least asking the question like, why am I here? Because it's clear to Paul that you should be here to worship Jesus. It's like, that's as, as like simple and like ground level as I can make it. Okay. Are you guys good? I'm not very funny tonight. I know this is confusing, trying to help us all along. We good? Some of us are. Okay, I got a couple of thumbs up. Cool. Let's, let's get weirder. You ready for verse seven? Let's do this. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. 
so too woman is the glory of man. That's a weird sentence. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. Okay. Did Paul just say that men are better than women? No. Okay. He did not say that. This is not a statement of difference in equality or some sort of like image-bearing superiority. It's just like what's true, right? It doesn't have a deeper meaning of male significance or dominance. Like the heart behind these verses is the same as before. He's just laying out what's true. God made man first, and then he made Eve from Adam, right? He's literally saying, this is how this went. So Paul is trying to reinforce the need for men and women to embrace their gender distinctions, He's, he's trying to make it really clear. Men and women are different, okay? He's not trying to say one is better than the other. He's trying to say don't reject the reality that you are different because it's a good thing and it should be displayed when my people gather. And so then when you read verse nine, what you should not read is like, oh, well, like once again, man was not created for woman, but woman for the sake of man. You have to remember That's actually a cool thing that he was saying. Like, woman was created for the sake of man. The help. The help. I think it's a statement of value. It's saying, no, remember, ladies, I gave you an awesome purpose. I gave you a beautiful role in my kingdom. It's to be a help. There are things about you that make you distinctly female, and that's how I want you to operate in my church. That's how I want you to operate in a marriage. It's help. It's not degrading. It's valuing, okay? And then... If all of us together are already just as confused as I am, Paul decided to write something weird in verse 10, right? As if it wasn't weird enough. Uh, She should have a symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. Thanks, Paul. What? (laughs) What? Okay. So there's actually a lot of views on this thing. I'm going to give you like my best take that a bunch of other smart dudes said, okay? So for, for the angels, I don't understand that. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 God taught, or Paul writing about the church and God's desire to use the church, he says this, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I think he is saying is, look, you are not just putting on display something for the world, but something for the heavens that heaven and hell are watching the church and wondering what does life in the kingdom look like and we are supposed to continue to demonstrate the beauty and the difference between male and female and yet the way that they can work together to show that there's a greater kingdom to live for. That's my best shot. That's why Paul was weird and talked about angels, okay? Keep going and then I'm gonna get to like culturally how does this matter, Michael? I promise it'll be hopefully worth it. In verse 11, in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man and man is not independent of woman. Okay, listen to that. In the Lord, he's basically saying men and women are not more significant than the other. When he says not independent, he's saying not better than. So he's saying women aren't better than men and men aren't better than women. There is this beautiful equality that exists in in their role as image bearers. And then he like drives it home. He says, for just as woman came from man, Eve from the rib, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. So in case man could ever be like, yeah, but you came from me, then she can go, but everybody else came from me, right? You get it? Birth, okay? (laughs) Birth, that's what I'm talking about. And who sustains and gives all life? God, which again is the point 
of anything we do and any symbol God wants us to put on display is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify him. God designed marriage not to suppress a woman or over-elevate a man, but to glorify him to display the gospel. Ladies, he made you because there are certain ways that only a woman can show the world what it looks like to live as, a, as an image bearer of God. But he's also made it so that it's not just a woman and it's not just a man, but that we do it together and not just romantically, but communally, okay? He, he's trying to help us understand that it's good for us to learn to live together. And now it comes to like culturally, what are we up against? Because I think this is where things start to get messy as if they already aren't, right? So angels, if you're watching, give me some grace. Here we go. I want you to understand that male or female, you have significant beauty and worth because you are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. I also want you to know that there are certain things that if you continue to read the New Testament that God has designed specifically for men and that God has designed specifically for women. Not to devalue or overvalue, but to work together to display his glory and life in his kingdom, okay? But you are up against some really nasty cultural lies that we need to call out so we can repent from and fight back against, okay? Because the Corinthian culture had them, and in this, Paul was worried they would reject the normal form and function of the genders that God had given them in Genesis, And so if this worship gathering started to falter because of that, they were just doing what Adam and Eve did in the first place, which was look at what God had given them and rejected it for their own way. And I'm telling you now, whether you believe in God or not, we've messed it up, right? We have messed up the way that men and women are supposed to interact together. But because of the blood of Jesus and his desire to create a new people, he's given us a chance to display the right thing again. And he's not going to wait till heaven to do it. He wants to do it with this room right now. And that's an incredible thing because if you're like me, you know how messed up you are. But that actually stirs me to move forward because I know he's working in me and through me. So ancient Corinth in 2019 all have problems, okay? Let's just think about things that contribute to this brokenness. Like I said earlier, abuse. So there is a larger and more historically documented pattern of men abusing women, sexually physically, emotionally. It's not that it doesn't happen with women against men, but it seems that men continue to do it more and more and more often to women. That shatters, like, like we are not unimpacted by history, right? Like the things that have been happening since the beginning of time absolutely affect you. There are narratives that are continually written that you cannot escape from, but you can push against. So this abuse, it's messed things up. Here's a couple things that as I prayed, I, I just felt like God was bringing to my attention that just kind of plague men specifically. So there's this just general apathy and passivity that just overtakes men, right? And it's not that girls can't be lazy. I know pr- plenty of lazy girls. I'm not saying any of you in this room, you can pray about it. Um, but there just seems to be this general apathy and passivity when it comes to male leadership. And you know what? Adam was the first passive man when he didn't tell Eve to drop the fruit and leave the snake alone. I think we need to acknowledge it, that there's something in us that makes us uh, apathetic and passive, but actually where I think that's rooted is because we're all so horribly insecure. And I think it's why, Jake Herring told me this, why men play video games, 
because they can be the hero and it's safe because if they fail, they can just hit the reset button. But in life when they fail, they have to actually accept it. I know. But you need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. The kingdom of God tells you a better story. It tells you that it's not up to your motivated willpower, but it's up to the power and grace of God. That you actually don't have to be the hero, men, because Jesus was the hero. And so you just need to get in line and walk the way of your rabbi and you will begin to look like him and change the world around you. The apathy and passivity that seems so easy, it's actually slowly killing you. And what's in front of you is not a God who says, you better do this right the first time and make it perfect. It's actually one who sits there while your face is in the dirt from failing again. And he says, get up, you're my son, you will be my man. You have to understand that is what God is saying to you tonight. You can reject apathy and passivity. Uh, push against continued adolescence, okay? Like I don't like when I meet 25-year-olds who seem 15. We just need to get rid of that. It is not okay for you to live in your parents' basement as long as possible. Get out and eventually sell your Xbox, personal opinion, okay? And you need to reject the culture's decision to make you seem significant based on superficial things or your sexual prowess or history, okay? Just reject it. You are not significant because of how many people you slept with and how much stupid crap you can own or wear, okay? Let's just get rid of that, you guys. Okay, ladies, lies I think that you live into. And again, these things are keeping us from being the kingdom that does the things we're supposed to do. Um, we need... We, sorry. <laughs> I have a lot of females in my life. Um, so, ladies, you need to make sure that your image is not your greatest source of worth. I know the world wants to convince you that the greatest thing you can offer is your face, but I want you to reject that because Jesus makes it really clear that there's so much more to you than what's on the outside. And he even says in his word that beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, that's something worth chasing, okay? We need to daily fight against the lie. We, I did it again. You need to fight against the lie that your worth is in what you look like. Because it is in what you look like, but not on the outside, but the inside. And you know what he says about the inside, even when it looks ugly? I love you. I think you need to sit in that that Jesus has seen every single corner of your heart. He knows every insecurity. He knows every moment you've failed and he doesn't flinch. He actually leans in more and he says, I love you. You need to hear that. Okay, uh, another one. I think the more I, I see uh, gals interact, gals, wow, I'm 55 now. Um, <laughs> There just seems to be this thing where you guys like to talk and it usually turns into gossip. And I think it's like a really normal thing, okay? And gossip is never honoring. I've, I've indulged in it in my time, but like gossip is never, and dudes gossip, right? Especially us like super emotional ones who get like really defensive and are afraid of conflict. But um, like that is just this thing that I think is perpetuated and it's, it's a lie that you are told like is normal for girls to do. I think you just need to reject that because it doesn't lead to kingdom flourishing and it doesn't represent well life with men and women together. Um, I want you to know that being a feminist is not the only way to be an empowered woman. Feminism is an incredible thing because it got you basic rights that you should have, like voting, okay? 
So feminism started from a great place, but I think some parts of it turns into like, men suck, let's cut all their heads off and take over the world, okay? And that's a gross over-exaggeration. I want you to know that there are some incredible feminists who follow Jesus, but I'm just saying, sometimes good things become really bad things, right? So I want you to know you should feel empowered, you should feel capable, but it should not then turn into animosity. That's where it starts to get dangerous. Um, I think another lie that uh, you can believe in Christian circles is that because you're a woman, you contribute less to the church. That's a narrative we have to start to rewrite. I think women like uh, Laura Benson and Haley Kerprick are rewriting that. They do a ton. And Laura and Haley give, and Shay, they give so much insight. And so many of you, like, you have to understand, ladies, if all of you left, we would like have 20 guys on the leadership team, okay? There is something beautiful to celebrate in that. Women are hungry for the things of God, so let's give them a place to display those gifts. Like, ladies, you can be theologians. You can know more about God than me. One of my greatest prayers is that one day Finley would tell me more about God and know more about God than I ever could, but not just through the book she reads, but because she's always in his presence, right? So ladies, that's a thing that can, that's possible. We need to rewrite that. Um, your, another lie, another belief that I think sometimes happens to you is your values in how many children you can have or how soon you can get married or the fact that you get married at all. I just wanna let you know, if you never have kids, you're not less valuable. And if you never get married, there's nothing changed about your ability to be an image bearer, okay? But I think there's just that pressure that gets put on you. Um, it says in here, I wanted to say, ladies, know your Bibles, pray and speak up but I don't have like twang. I wanted that to sound intense. Um, it didn't. Another person I just want to highlight is my wife. Um, she's far more gifted than me, and it's not just in her ability to pay the bills and do laundry. It's in her ability to use the power of the Holy Spirit to discern things, to show me his word, and then to lead our family and our children, right? So be empowered and see that. Uh, one thing that I think affects both of us that we often make it just a man thing is when we turn men and women into objects, okay? And yes, it's physical, but it's also just like, we have this horrible tendency to look at someone and subconsciously or consciously ask, what can I get from you? What can I get from you? So we know that that happens when we watch the video of some guy's daughter being violated. Um, but I think it also happens when we watch shows. Uh, I... I I don't want you to feel guilty, but I'm really having a hard time with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, okay? I'm really, and, and I want you to know that I'm not saying it's a sin because it's not in the Bible. You understand me? So if you want to watch it, like I'm going to pray for you that you get convicted and you turn it off. But if you don't, that's fine. But I'm just saying like, it's so easy to be like, you're looking at someone naked on a screen and ladies are doing that more and more. So I don't want to pretend like it's just a male issue, but there are ways like, like, this is another thing. I've noticed that it seems like, ladies, you will watch more sexually suggestive content and, like, think you're going to be unaffected by it that I will, like, turn away from. And even my wife's been like, yeah, I, why am I, I don't want to watch this either. So we both fast forward instead of me just, like, turning my eyes away. And I don't know all the shows because I don't watch them. But I'm just asking you to, like, ask yourself, is what you're watching going to help you then honor the men in your life look at them rightly and create a kingdom where you both flourish, right? Is that happening? This is not like, Michael, burn down all my favorite TV shows. I did not, okay? I did not. Um, don't use people like tools or food, okay? Don't use people like tools or food. Unfortunately, they did a study where they would show these men like a picture of a, um, of a, a power tool and then of a woman, and the guy's brain did the same thing. It registered it as the same thing. 
But then it would show a picture of like a friend of his and it would register it as like an actual person it could interact with. That's not right. And we need to fix that. The kingdom of God should be the place where it starts to change first, right? That should bother you. Absolutely. Um, Where I'm at, I'm almost done, okay? Yep, I'm done. Here we go. (sighs) How do we do this? So one thing is true. You don't need each other romantically, but you do need each other communally. You don't need each other romantically, but uh, a a bunch of ladies hanging out together, it's going to turn into like a nunnery. And a bunch of dudes hanging out together, it's going to look like a monastery. And I think those are great things for a time, but it's not the true way of the kingdom, at least not fully. And at least not to our culture, right? Because our culture isn't running off and living in just female and male communities. They're trying to live life together and they're failing at it. And so what they're desperate for is a group of people who say, I think this is the way it should look for men and women to flourish together. And that place should be in the kingdom of God. That's my prayer. I think that's what Paul wanted here. I'm pretty sure it's what Jesus wants. And this is how we do it. How do we follow the way of the kingdom? First thing, we honor one another. We honor one another. We look at them and we go, you are an image bearer of God. You have hopes and dreams. You have had heartaches and mountaintops. You are an image bearer, okay? When you look at someone that way, you don't then just walk by them. You slow down long enough to look them in the eyes. This whole idea of honor has been ruining my life in the best way. It's incredible when you start to look at someone as like someone who had to go through eighth grade graduation and got dumped like their summer before their freshman year of college. When you actually humanize them, they begin to be someone to you. Humanize them, honor them as image bearers. Then uh, be a servant. Look to serve and not to get. So it fights against turning people into objects. Instead of what can I get from you, how can I serve you? That will change the world. And not just how can I serve you so then you'll go to coffee with me and then we'll end up married. But like, it, like let's diffuse that. So if you see a guy talking to a girl and you know they're not together, don't immediately assume they're romantically linked. Assume he just wanted to show her honor or she just wanted to show him honor. That they wanted to be brothers and sisters together. That would change things. And then lastly, let males be males and lead the way they're supposed to and let female be female and find their place and lead in the places they're supposed to. Don't try to eliminate male and female distinction. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. The reality that we have different roles, but those are good things. It is okay and good that men and women are different and will do different things in the kingdom and the church. We are a light to the world and more than ever, gender matters. And more than ever, the way men and women interact matters. Let us show them what it looks like to be men and women in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I went way too long and probably said a bunch of things that um, weren't helpful. So what I pray right now um, is that the things that were of you would stick in our minds and the things that weren't, that they would fall away. I recognize that I myself have failed to honor, serve, and celebrate the distinctions of the men and the women in this room, and I've contributed to the problem. And so I want to repent of the cultural narratives that I've given into. And in this moment, as we sing, would you reveal in our hearts the things we need to confess? But then actually, would you give us a vision of what, what life could be like? Would you let us not just sit in this like, oh, I didn't do it right, but would you then cast a vision for, oh, what could it be? And would we recognize that we don't have to wait 
for heaven to start seeing that happen now. Yes, in its entirety and its full beauty, that will be in heaven. But you said the kingdom was coming now and it can be in this place. I want to honor every man and woman in this place. Would they recognize in this moment that nothing about them was an accident, especially not their gender, and that who they are as a man or a woman should be celebrated and then cultivated into a life that changes the world for the sake of the kingdom. Would that be true? In Jesus' name, amen.